Welcome back to the Draft Nut Podcast. It's Jared Feinberg and Devin Jackson of Blue Chip Scouting, and we are your hosts for today's episode of the show. It's the first episode of 2023. I'm very excited to get this new year going with the right way with the new recording. And, you know, we have several things to talk about today, such as the college football playoff semifinals and the college football playoff national championship this Monday night. And, you know, there, this past weekend was incredible, just great football all the way around, including Monday night when we had Penn state, Utah, uh, and then we also had Tulane with an insane comeback from behind against USC. Um, we won't be getting into the into those games, unfortunately. But first, I want to welcome back Devin Jackson to the podcast. It's been way long since we've recorded together, man. Probably, I don't know, since July since we recorded an episode. It it's been way too long. <laughs> Since we've been able to record an episode. So how you doing, man? Catch us up. Yeah, uh, been busy. Uh, started a new job and and that's kind of taken up a lot of my time. Um, just keeping up with, uh, you know, kind of the new thing that I'm doing, which is uh, sports betting for the Philadelphia Inquirer. So kind of had to learn a little bit more about just Philadelphia sports in general, get familiar with the Eagles who are currently the number one C in NFC, uh, barring uh, anything that will happen this weekend. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of taking up a bulk of my time. Been writing about college football uh, for the Inquirer as well, uh, doing some pieces on like Marvin Harrison Jr., Jeremiah Trotter Jr., uh, Tyke Smith, and going to be covering the NFL draft for the uh, the Inquirer too. So uh actually went to the, uh, the playoff game between Georgia and uh, Ohio State, so uh, excited to talk about that in a few minutes, but just been busy, man. Um, that's all I can really say. Just constantly new things are popping up, uh, new assignments and is really cut down the amount of time I have, uh, in terms of recording and whatnot, but glad to get back to it. Uh, obviously do a podcast with Corey Kennan as well, uh, which is nice and started that, uh, I want to say December, uh, so I've kind of gotten back into podcasting a little bit more uh, as of recently, but, but everything's been good, man. You know, for me on my, on my end, of course, like last last episode, I talked about you know how I'm dealing with school stuff, college, applying for even my master's degree at a few schools in in my region. So, you know, I'm going to be very busy. Of course, this. Uh, this spring, of course, covering the NFL draft, writing articles for Cat Crate blog, uh, doing mock drafts, doing scouting reports, all that stuff. And so I'm looking forward to the challenge ahead this this year. And, you know, going into this year, I I just kind of accepted the fact, you know, this is going to be a very busy year, not only for myself, but for the both of us, too. We got um, new opportunities ahead of us. Um both professionally and in in my case, uh, in my education academics. So looking forward to the challenges ahead, and I'm looking forward to talking about some college football here. Let's start with the college football semifinals, and this was probably the best college football playoff, or I mean, it is the best college football playoff ever. 
we saw two phenomenal football games where we saw TCU upset Michigan in the semifinal. Everyone thought Michigan was going to run away with the Fiesta Bowl win, and it never came to fruition. Michigan fought back, but TCU played incredibly well. They made big plays, both offensively and defensively, including the big touch catch or run after catch from Quentin Johnston to basically go ahead over Michigan and seal the deal for TCU. And then we had Georgia, Ohio State counter that with their own spectacular game. Ohio State really played to Georgia's level and it ended up becoming a shootout, came down to the final seconds. And unfortunately, the holder didn't get the ball down well enough and the kick just went wide left and Devin grabbed that game. So we'll, we'll talk about that game here shortly. and We'll talk about Stroud. We'll talk about some of the players you were, um, you got the chance to talk to at that game as well. Let's start with Michigan TCU. I want to know your thoughts a little bit on, you know, how, how did TCU just come awake with this? They just, they really shocked everyone. And they played a lot more of a physical game than everyone expected. So I just want to know your thoughts on how Michigan just dropped the ball in a sense in this game. And now you have questions of whether or not Jim Harbaugh is going to be back as head coach since there are some NFL opportunities ahead of him. Yeah, I think for them, um, I think TCU made them one-dimensional. And I think that was an important thing for them to do. And TCU constantly kept the pressure on them. They they didn't back down. You know, they they were weren't scared of the moment. Sonny Dice has done a terrific job as a first year head coach at TCU. Um, but they played to their strengths. They played their brand of football. And that's getting explosive plays uh in the passing game, uh, able to control the line of scrimmage, which is very surprising considering Michigan defensively. Uh, they had their up and downs, I would say. Like they gave up a lot of rushing yards to Maryland, but really since that game. They've locked in uh, defensively. So I was surprised by how much TCU dominated the line of scrimmage, uh, how much they were able to get big plays out of their passing game. Uh, you know, Quinn Johnson, as you mentioned, had a big catch and run late in the game to kind of put the game on ice. But also defensively, they forced turnovers. Uh, and they, they got some they got some breaks, I will say. They did get some breaks. Uh, there was a possible touchdown pass that could have happened for Michigan. It was stopped at the one, and then they ended up fumbling later in that drive. Um, but some really costly turnovers on Michigan's side of things that put them down early. Uh, and then just since it was the first game, they really let J.J. McCarthy like go and let him really sling it. That was, I would say, a mistake on Michigan's hand because if you allow him to get comfortable in the passing game earlier in the season, if you really allow him to to open up his, his passing ability, uh, you see him bounce back from those turnovers a little bit more quickly. And he did a really good job bouncing back from them, but they were so costly in, in the moment. And TCU made them pay for those turnovers. And I think that was the difference in the game, ultimately. TCU took care of the ball, and, and uh, they really played the field position game. They, made, they took risks, but also were smart about it. Uh, Michigan, they tried to, I believe it was a, what, a fake field goal they tried early in the game. Didn't go their way. Um, the fumble uh, on the goal line and then, you know, the two interceptions by McCarthy. So 
I would say really came down to execution and, and taking care of the football and TCU were able to do that more. Speaking of Arthur, you know, I, he's one of the prospects I really, um, that really caught my eye. And I know he's not eligible until 2024, but to see what he, I mean, we all knew he was very talented. He's a very talented quarterback. Finally got the opportunity this season to start for the Michigan Wolverines. Never really got to, got his chance to exploit his passing abilities. And now he's, he was able to do it, but it just seemed like it was too late. And a couple notes I had from that game were that he, he didn't really do a great job, of course, taking care of the football. Um, had that costly pick six early in the game. He had another pick six later on that went to D. Winters, who's a potential 2023 draft prospect who we'll be getting into at some point this offseason. And you could tell McCarthy, he's a raw quarterback prospect. You you see ability you see the arm talent you see the out-of-pocket and in in structure ability from mccarthy the the accuracy flashes you can throw from far hash make accurate throws from the far hash and you can drive the ball really well down the middle of the field and in the vertical game too like he had some beautiful deep balls including the one deep ball where Originally, it was called a touchdown, then it ended up being called down the one-yard line, and that ended up costing Michigan. And and McCarthy just he, – he did look poised. I was impressed with the poise. I was – he didn't seem panicky at times. He never really just – he seemed calm, cool, collected. He did well. He worked within the structure of the offense. I still have concerns with, of course, the turnover. And also, you know, the mechanics as well. A little inconsistent with the upper and lower half mechanics. But, of course, we won't be getting into him truly into the, until this summer. And I'm looking forward to seeing how well he rises up this year. But something from this game that really baffled me was Michigan just could not do anything, anything in in the goal line or inside the five-yard line that could do anything. Like they probably would have done better had had it been like first and goal at the twenty yard line. They probably would have scored anyway. They couldn't score or do anything inside the five yard line. They struggled mightily. And early in the game, that first drive, Donovan Edwards he broke free fifty plus yard run, and then they just couldn't score. They couldn't score whatsoever. I was watching the Pat McAfee field pass on ESPN two. Um, Taylor Lewan was losing his mind and everyone else as well. And also shout out to Robert Griffin III. Congratulations on uh, on his newborn kid. Um, very happy for him and his family. But and it, it was just why why would they try to run a Philly special in that situation? It's not the time to do that. Like you don't need to be cute inside the red zone or at least at the goal line. So that that was just baffling to me. And um, Michigan kind of, they they had so many opportunities to really make this a close game, take the lead at, at some points, but TCU made some big plays. Max Duggan made some good plays as well. 
um Kendra Kendra right Kendra Miller yeah Kendra Miller went down with an injury didn't come back um I mean he still he ran the ball he had he was averaging seven yards a carry before he went down and then uh DeMarco what was his name Demiricado, Demiricado, is that his Juan Demiricado? Right? Yep. Um, seventeen carries, one hundred fifty. I mean, TCU gashed Michigan's run, running defense. I mean, absolutely gashed them. Michigan's known to be a good defense overall. They shut down the two, but they could not shut down Max Duggan, Miller, Demiricado. I mean, they couldn't do anything against Michigan or TCU's run defense or run rushing attacks. So it 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 was a very impressive performance for TCU. Another player I think really impressed me was Dylan Horton, um, the edge rusher for TCU. Four sacks, four tackles for loss. I talked about him uh, in my recent article for Cat Crate Blog as a prospect to watch for the Panthers. Um, he's a raw player, especially as a pass rusher, but he had he is such a great high motor guy, good athlete, good linear athlete. He's not the bendiest of players, but he's a versatile guy, can line up in a five technique. In TCU's three three five defense, he played inside shade, so four four eye technique. And he he was just Isaac, Michigan field all day and if there was one game that you want to go back during the draft prospects tra- the draft process and say okay who's been one of the more impressive performances from this past season on the defensive side of the ball Dylan Horton had won those games I mean it was an impressive performance from Horton and the being lead the defensive player of the game and he's going to be a big factor in this coming national championship game Yeah, lots of impressive play um, on both sides of the ball. Um, and and it'll be interesting to see kind of based on this game and then, you know, uh, the national championship as well, especially for a TCU perspective, like which prospects kind of really uh, rise to the occasion and, and, you know, can kind of solidify their draft slot uh, for sure. But yeah, the, the names you mentioned, Horton, uh, obviously Johnson had a really big game uh, too. Um, and then Miller, uh, TCU's running back. I thought he was, and, and I actually f- just finished up uh, Johnson a couple nights ago. Uh, his preliminary uh, report, but uh, Miller he consistently, uh, you know, shows showcase vision, the ability to to break tackles at the second level, and um, has a really nice vision too. He he finds the backside cuts uh, really nicely, sets up his uh, blocks as well, and, and that's a big reason he had a big game too against Michigan. So uh, it'll be interesting for sure to see, uh, especially from TCU. I know they have a offensive lineman. I think it's Steve Avilia, uh, the left guard, uh, is a is a potential prospect as well. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it'll be a big game for the for them uh, against Georgia to to kind of see how they. Uh, really showcased their ability um, on a big stage like the national championship and uh, could really um, solidify their draft stock as well. 
I want to ask you a question about Quentin Johnston. I, I, I've seen lately how, like, there's some criticism around Quentin Johnston. Like, some people actually do not like him as a prospect whatsoever. Um, and there's some people that have said, you know, oh, he, the reason I, I don't think he's a great prospect is because he's a Big 12 receiver. When, when did we start scouting conference conferences for players um, in terms of like how they're going to do or how they are as a prospect? So like, why, why do you think Johnston is getting this type of criticism? Because like, is it because he's just a Pac-12 receiver and there's um, some stereotypes around Pac-12 or not Pac-12, Big 12 receivers? Um, I, I don't recall any like big stereotypes towards those receivers, but why do you think Johnson gets this type of criticism? Well, I think people have been burned by the big athletic uh, receivers as of late. And, and Akil Harry, I think, is a, a big example of that. Uh, as of recently, Laquan Treadwell is another example, too, uh, in recent memory. And I think people are afraid that because they're not necessarily natural separators, they do, do a lot of their work vertically uh, in, in contested catch situations. I think people are a little bit hesitant to make him like receiver one or to take him highly um which mm-hmm. i think is to That's me fair. i think it yeah it, it's fair criticism but also you have to you know kind of step back and realize like johnston like he has special athleticism like he's mm-hmm. not in that same boat as like an Akil harry laquan Treadwell, where they made a living on contested catches and, and really dominated at the catch point Johnson is a little bit of a different breed. He's actually someone that can probably run in the four three four four range uh, vertically, um, and and really attacks the leverage of of DBs and uh, gets them on their heels. Um, and I think that kind of what separates him. Like he's going to be an immediate deep threat at the NFL level, but I think some people worry about a little bit of separation in the short game, as I am too. I think he could be a little bit better. Um, and, and creativity at the top of his route and being able to stem some of his routes when he's in breaking. I think sometimes he telegraphs it a little bit, but when you're someone that has special yak ability and, and vertical ability, I think that, you know, that's he's going to get drafted highly. But now it's going to be about him developing the rest and rounding out the rest of his game, which I think he still has room to do. But I mean, he's making big plays in our biggest games, and and that's all you can really ask for out of a a receiver that you're going to take in the first round. Do you think he's more of a big slot to start his career, like as he develops into a true um, number one or number two guy? Do you think he starts out as a big slot guy um, to allow him to kind of adjust to the speed of the game and work on some of the flaws he has right now? I think his release package is good enough to make him a, an X in the NFL offense already. Um, I don't really have concerns with him beating press. I think is just now about the small technical aspects of his game, you know, like refining his footwork, being a little bit more deceptive at the top of the routes. But I think he can operate on the outside uh, just fine at the NFL level. I think you get him big or align him in that big slot role to get him touches. And I think you are diverse with how you use him. But I think overall you 
still use him as a true X receiver. He's going to still get open because he has a big frame and a big catch radius uh, that I like to see him use better as well. But he's going to command snaps as an outside receiver. I don't think I have worries about him before the snap or during the snap. It's just at the top of routes. I want to see him clean it up and just be uh, more aggressive attacking the ball while the ball is in the air, especially when he's going over the middle of the field. I think Sometimes he lets it get into his body, and and that can cause some double catches and uh, some passes get deflected by uh, DBs on his back. But he has the uh, the length and size to to be uh, just fine on the outside. I want to go ahead and get to Georgia, Ohio State, probably one of the best semifinal games we'll ever see. Um, on on top of Michigan and TCU. Um, I think the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway from that game was CJ Stroud. Um, and you, you were at this game and I, I know you want to, um, get your thoughts out on this. Stroud had a game where like people were questioning, does he have out of structure ability? Can he utilize his legs, uh, more often than not? And we saw the full package with C.J. Stroud. Like, he he unleashed everything in his bag. We saw the arm talent. We saw the accuracy. We saw the out-of-structure ability we've been waiting for. We saw the velocity, the increased velocity when moving out of the pocket. We saw the running ability when moved off his spot. We saw him pick up first downs with his, with his legs. We saw him evade pass rushers. Except Jalen Carter, Jalen freaking Carter, one of the best defensive players in this draft class, arguably the best player in this draft, sidestepped him. Throw first down. I, it was either first down throw or it was a touchdown. I don't remember which, but he did put times to Jalen Carter. And I'm like, where was this all season? Where was this against Michigan? Where was this against Penn State? We saw C.J. Stroud have his statement game, his resume game. And that, I believe, did wonders for his draft stock. It wouldn't surprise me if a team, if Bryce Young went number one, it wouldn't surprise me if a team traded up to number two to take C.J. Stroud. It could be Carolina. It could be Indianapolis. It could be Las Vegas. It could be someone in the teens looking for a quarterback. Could the Jets be a factor potentially if they're done with Zach Wilson? Still, so, there's still some hope with Zach Wilson. It sounds like from within the Jets organization, but who knows? Who knows with Joe Douglas at this point? So, let's talk about CJ Stroud real quick. Um, I gave my thoughts a little bit. What impressed you the most with CJ Stroud uh, this past Saturday night? Um, I think it was just how he commanded really the field. Um. They were just, it felt like there were no play. There was no play that he made was incorrect. Um, even the incompletions, I thought he played about as perfect as a game you could. Um, because when you think about Georgia's defense, I know they gave up a ton of yards against LSU and everyone kind of wants to stick to that. But I mean, they, they have future NFL dudes at almost every position and. I got to give Fred to Ohio State's offensive line, which I'll talk about in just a second um, or or in a little bit. But 
every time that Georgia had a great call against Ohio State and that was like sending five or six dudes or having a spy or uh, someone comes free like Jalen Carter, uh, Stroud just made play after play. And he truly looked like the best college football quarterback uh, on on Saturday night. You know, he was poised. He was uh, accurate. Um, he was creative out of structure. And he was willing to run. I think that was a big thing people were sticking to was that he just refused to run the football. And he made some big plays with his legs, especially on third downs, especially if you give him the field goal range. He had a big 31-yard run, which I was a little scared for him once he got past the 20, 25-yard <laughs> mark because it was like, um, got to go down, man, you know. But uh, he played about as good as a game you could. And and you have to keep in mind he lost his star receiver, Marvin Harrison, at the end of the third quarter. And still, you know, he still moved the football. They still scored six points in the fourth quarter, which I know in hindsight isn't the the best output, but he still moved the ball for them and still got him in field goal range uh, to win the game. So I think anybody has questions about, you know, his uh, ability to create out of structure, his, his ability to um, be accurate under pressure, under duress, um, and, and just be able to handle – uh, the biggest moments he can point him to that game and say, look, I did this. And this is the second year in a row. He's done this on the biggest stage. I mean, he did it in the Rose bowl last year too, mm -hmm. which people don't typically talk about, but I know people are thinking about the Michigan games that he lost, but it, I mean, it really wasn't his fault, you know, like there were circumstances that, you know, he was getting six and seven man pressure. His, his best offensive linemen were getting beat you know, around the edge and, and the play calling, which just wasn't there against Michigan. And, and, you know, I'll give Ryan day a lot of credit um, because he call about as good as a game you could. And, and yep. really that last sequence, I think he could have done better, but still you can't really ask for more with the game on the line, still get a, an attempt with 54 seconds left against the best defense in the country or I won't say best defense maybe the most talented defense in the country uh because the last couple games they haven't been as sharp but gotta get credit to Ohio State but CJ Stroud played a tremendous game on Saturday night and j just to look at Stroud's stats from that game he was 23 of 34 348 yards four touchdowns you do that against Georgia's defense, that will raise a ton of eyebrows, and that raised everyone's eyebrows Saturday night. And th there's this notion that Stroud was like he was a true – he's a true pocket passer. He's not going to run the ball. He's a statue in the pocket. He, that That's not the case. That is not who he is as a player. We saw that ability to create out of the pocket with his legs Saturday night against Georgia. And yes, Georgia hasn't been playing the greatest on defense as of late. But they, they are stacked with talent. They're going to have future. They have guys that are not draft eligible on that defensive side of the ball that couldn't, could end up going very high in the next, um, several years, in the next several years. And another player that really impressed me and on Ohio State's side, on Ohio State's defensive side of the ball, Tommy Eichenberg. One of the leaders of that defense, I believe he's probably going to be more of a day two draft pick. Um, great. He showed good athleticism, good sideline to sideline ability. 
I was really impressed with um, his leadership role, um, his work ethic, and also getting guys and playing guys situated where they need to be defensively. Um, he, I'm excited to look at his film um, this offseason once I get it available. And, you know, very impressive performance for Ohio State. And I, I really never understood why there were people wanting Ryan Day's job to just or Ryan Day to just be out the door after the Michigan game. He's a great football coach. If he were to be fired or even if he were to resign as head coach, you would have college football teams across the country vying for his services without hesitation. They throw him a blank check, essentially. So very impressive performance against Georgia. Georgia, offensively, they they looked great. Sense of Bennett in the continuing to ball out as well. Um, still don't know why he was a Heisman candidate, but I mean, I guess the, the, the game against Ohio state really showed like, yeah, it, it does make sense in some cases, but there were other more worthy candidates. I know we don't have a lot of time left. Um, so I, I do want to talk about the national championship game. Um, I want to go ahead and get that over with. National Championship, Georgia versus TCU. Who would have thought TCU would be in the national championship? They were not even ranked in the preseason. Now the number three team in the country playing for a national championship against the defending champs, Georgia Bulldogs. And Georgia kind of makes me worried a little bit. Um, Not because I don't think that – not because they're just going to blow TCU – TCU out of the water. I don't think that will be the case. TCU is a legitimate football team, both sides of the ball. They know how to win football games, all sorts of fashions. Georgia, it's the same way, but they're more talented. They're they're the team of college football right now. But TCU has a chance to be to really make start making an impact in recruiting if they win the national championship here. So I want to know your thoughts real quick on this national championship. Like what matchups are you looking forward to? And um, do you think TCU has a real chance of winning the national championship Monday night? Yeah, I think it's really going to come down to, can they control the game like they did against Michigan? Um, Because, well, honestly, it's it's not even really that. It's can they sustain their play for four quarters? I'll I'll kind of change that because Ohio State controlled the game against Georgia. They they really were in control even in the final moments of the game. But Georgia was able to get stops when they needed to, and and ultimately pull out the win. So it has to be sustaining in all all over four quarters, and they got to take care of the football. I think those are the two biggest keys for a TCU win. Um. But I think Georgia probably wins the game, and, and I'm looking forward to seeing can Keely, Keely Ringo bounce back from kind of a rough performance against Ohio State because they attacked him and, and attacked him early and often on crossers and um, you know some some deep outs and, and deep comebacks. Um, and there were, there's a player too, Marvin Harrison Jr. was able to get him. Um, so I, I want to see how he fares against Quentin Johnston, who. Um, he's a really good prospect, but he tends to struggle a little bit at the catch point with physical dudes, and and Ringo kind of fits that uh, description of being physical at the catch point. 
Um, I want to see what the trench play looks like for TCU. I think it's going to be imperative they get pressure on uh, Stetson Bennett, like Ohio State did, were able to do uh, in those first three quarters. Um, and, and they have to find a way to create turnovers. And I want to see which team is, is able to do that. And how big of a game is Jalen Carter going to have? He didn't have the the biggest game on the stat sheet, but he still made plays uh, again in the semifinal. But I think he's he, there's a chance he has his defining moment against TCU and wreaks havoc and, and proves he's a, a top three player in this class. I look at TCU and I'm like, okay, you 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 have the ability to beat Georgia's beat Georgia overall, just on both sides of the ball. It's if you can do it is the question. If they're able to do it Monday nights. And if they bring the same type of game plan they, they had against Michigan, make them one-dimensional, you force Stenson Bennett to throw the ball, then you sit back in zone in that 3-3-5 in that 3-3-5 stack defense, allow them allow to create confusion on Stenson Bennett, really sh- start to shut run, discipline and run fits, discipline with gap assignments, you know, TCU is a well-coached football team. They don't have the most talent on the field without – I mean, Georgia is easily the most talented team on the field this weekend. But TCU plays physical. They play fast. I think they match up well with Georgia in that sense. They can match Georgia's physicality. They can match Georgia's athleticism in some ways. They can really – hurt them with the speed. So I think it's really going, I think this game will come down to the wire. And I'm, I'm, I hate picking a Georgia here, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to TCU. I think TCU wins the national championship. And then that just skyrockets their projection for the next several years to come in terms of recruiting, in terms of being able to land transfers out the portal. I, I mean, a win Monday night will basically secure their future in a sense like TCU will be the team in the Big 12 for years to come. They A win Monday night, they're that team. They're one of the teams to beat in college football, period. And once they get recruiting going, they're going to be a threat. I, I truly believe that. Yeah, we'll see. I think it's going to be a, a a good game, and I think TCU will hang around for a while. I think Georgia ultimately kind of pulls away, uh, really imposes their will in the trenches, um, and really get their their running game. Because the only thing with the three three five is very unique, um, and and it's very versatile, and you can throw a lot of looks at teams. But with that fifth DB on the field, then it's one less player. Uh, involved in the running game. So they're really going to have to tackle well at the second and third level, um, especially in the, in, in Georgia's running game. Um, and they're going to have to have a plan for Brock Bowers because uh, he, he's going to be a, a dynamic player and um, really using in a versatile of ways uh, for George Stephens. And that play action is going to be deadly uh, if Georgia can get that run game going. I think that's going to do it, do it for us, Devin. Um, it was a good First podcast back. I really enjoyed having a good chat with you here um, about semifinal, about some prospects, about the college football national championship. Looking forward for looking forward to our next recording. Hopefully, it will be sometime next week at national championship. 
I'll have to look at my schedule, see how everything goes in terms of if we're going to be able to record. But guys, thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. Glad to be back recording for the Draft Nut podcast. Hope to have some final roar podcast episodes coming out in the near future with the off season right around the corner for the Carolina Panthers. And I'll see you guys soon. We'll see you guys soon. Peace.